Here's the question I, I want to start with. If, if you and I had one last meeting together, if we had one more opportunity to speak, what is it that you would want to tell me in that last meeting? What would you, what would you say? Okay, if I, I mean, this last time, I need you to know this one thing. We're in Acts chapter 20. We've been looking at uh, resurrections in the Old Testament and New Testament the last few weeks, and today we're going to be uh, here, and we're going to see how Paul answers this question. We've been thinking about this. Uh, we've seen some of the impacts of these uh, things, including last week. We celebrated, of course, Easter, and uh, that just really got me thinking from this passage. Sometimes as believers, we get um, uh, in this spot where we like to just wonder what day should we be meeting, right? What day's the Sabbath? That's a kind of a common question that you'll get. People, uh, they feel like it's a real, like they're going to, like a gotcha kind of question. I'm going to trap you because I'm going to ask you, what day is the Sabbath? And uh, I think the Sabbath is Saturday, but I think that we worship on Sunday for a reason, and the main reason is Easter. Last week, right, that's the day that the Lord rose from the grave on Sunday morning. So by uh, early on, what we see is the church was meeting on Sunday. We're going to get that here in our passage today. On the first day of the week, for Luke, the first day of the week was Sunday. He's writing to a, a, a Roman audience, and so he says, on the first day of the week, they were gathered together, and so the believers had already transitioned to meeting on Sundays, at least by the mid-50s, right? So we're going to be where Paul is uh, at this point in his life. It's the year 55, 56, 57, somewhere around that. And so really from the very, very beginning, the churches were meeting on the Lord's Day, at least maybe the ones outside Jerusalem meeting on the Lord's Day, meaning Sunday. Now, it's not the only time that churches can meet. It's not the only time churches should meet. If you're at a church and you're in uh, Dubai and uh, off day is on Friday, you're probably going to meet on Friday. Lots of churches here meet on Saturday. They just need to do that. And so uh, it's not the only time that we can or that we should meet, but that's the common practice of churches. And it has been since the, the mid-50s. And so really from the very, very beginning. Also, I'm no uh, professor, but I want to take a look at some maps today because in this text, uh, Luke throws a lot of place names and people's names at us. And so I just kind of want us to think a little bit geographically, like what, what's he talking about? What's it mean when he goes from, from uh, Philippi to Thessalonica or Philippi to Berea or if he's headed on to Corinth, what's, what's, what's that all about? And so uh, we're going to look at those and we're actually going actually to talk about resurrection too because that's part of the kind of the series that we're in. So in chapter 20, in chapter, actually really in 19, there's, uh, Paul is in Ephesus, which is here. So Paul is in Ephesus. And a huge riot breaks out, right? And you may remember this, and there are just the whole city's in an uproar, and great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and they go on and on and on for uh, hours. And as that finally uh, ends down in chapter 20, it says the uproar ceased, and Paul sent for the disciples. And we know from the scripture that after this huge riot, the people were saying, maybe, Paul, you should go somewhere else, right? Maybe you'd be a little happier, a little safer if you... Uh, tried to minister somewhere else for a while. And so he gathers them together and he says goodbye in the beginning of chapter 20. And then he goes, it says, through those regions, and he gave them encouragement. And then he came to Greece. So he's left Ephesus and he's going to go up over the top and come down to this part in 
uh, Greece. And when he's uh, there, it says he makes it to Corinth there in Greece. When he gets to Corinth, he stays for three months. That's in uh, chapter 20, verse 3. There he spent three months. He stayed there for three months, and then he's preparing. Let me zoom out a bit. He's preparing then to go to, from Corinth down to Jerusalem. He wants to get from Corinth to Jerusalem. Uh, but someone had they hatch a plot, and they said, we're going to kill Paul, right? We're going to ambush him. We're going to take care of him finally. We're going to get rid of him. So the sea voyage gets canceled, and he goes back up across again through these uh, cities that he's been visiting. And so we see... Uh, as he's about to set sail, he instead decides to return through Macedonia. That's in verse 3. And he takes along Sopater the Berean, right? So we just know Berea is there. He takes Sopater from there. He takes uh, Aristarchus and Secundus from, and uh, Gaius from Derby. He takes Timothy. He takes Tychicus and Tromiphus from uh, these provinces in Asia here. And so he's picked up believers uh, through the course of this ministry, right? It's been over and back. This is his third missionary journey. So he's picked up a number of people that are part of his normal team from all of these cities as he's made his way back and forth. But as they're going back, they go to Philippi, right? It's a favorite place of Paul's. It's a famous place for us. They go to Philippi, and then the team splits up. They say that um, Luke says... We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and five days came to them at Troas, where they all stayed together for seven days. So the teams made their way across. They split from Philippi, and then they come back together uh, recently. In, uh, they'll come back together in Troas. I think this is really just an amazing time in Paul's life, because according to F.F. F. Bruce, this scholar, F.F. F. Bruce says during the three months that Paul is in Corinth, is when he's most likely to have written the letter to the Roman church, right? Our book of Romans, in our Bible, Paul sits there in Corinth, and over the course of three months, he finally gets this down on paper. They come this plot, they're trying to kill him, and he just gets around and sees all these things. To put it into our own kind of calendar, so you sort of understand, Easter was last week, right? So that means Easter was Sunday, Passover was Saturday, Passover was Saturday. The week following Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that was basically this past week for us. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. They had, uh, they had Easter. They had the Feast of the, of the Unleavened Bread. And then they uh, go out from Troas to Philippi. Basically today, or maybe I guess it would be on Monday, Paul leaves Troas and he's headed then for Jerusalem. And we follow our calendar. Last Sunday was Easter. This week was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Paul's trying to get all the way down to Jerusalem. Paul's trying to get to Jerusalem here before June the 9th. That's the, it's seven Sundays after Easter that, that Pentecost happens. And so he says he's trying to get to Jerusalem, if he can, before Pentecost. It's taken him five days to make this trip from Philippi to Troas. And he's trying to go over the next few weeks. So Paul knows, right? He has his... He has his face set for Jerusalem in a sense like Jesus did. He's moving on. He doesn't have time to spend in these towns the way that he would like to. And so that's what we find when he gets to uh, Troas here on, uh, in chapter 20, verse 7. That's our actual text. That's what I want us to read together. So Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread... Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we had gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, 
sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them for a while longer. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. I love that phrase, right? It's something apparently that Luke just uses over and over in his gospel and in Acts when he's basically like underplaying some situation. And they were not a little comforted, right? You can imagine someone's raised from the dead and the people were not a little comforted. Let's uh, pray and then we'll, we'll really dig in here. Father, we do thank you for your word and these pictures, Lord, from Elijah to Elisha, the works that uh, Jesus did when he was raising people from the dead, this picture that we have of the gospel of the dead coming back to life that we see in the scripture. And so even as we think about Eutychus, we think about the church there at Troas and what Paul was trying to accomplish, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that you would accomplish a good work in us today. Lord, we want to be changed by the things that we hear, by the word that we come into contact with. And so we pray that you would uh, move in our midst today. Speak to us and Lord, be glorified by not only how we hear the word, but how we act on it as well. So I pray that you would help me to decrease, speak to us and uh, Lord, speak through me today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So many of us probably come to a passage like this and, and think uh, a couple of things. What in the world would Paul find to talk about all night long, right? What would he talk about all night long? Why would, why would he do something like that, right? There. One of the great marks, I think, of a good public speaker is you can tell when you've lost the crowd, right? Have you ever been there when someone's giving a speech or a lecture or a sermon, anything like that, and you realize, man, no one in here is listening to you. Madam, you should wrap it up. Everybody's gone, right? They're on their phone or they're all of a sudden half the crowd needs to use the restroom or something like that. They sneak out. But Paul, just while people doze off, he just keeps on going. And I think about that content. Like, what would you talk about? all night long. But then when I think that just weeks ago, just really weeks ago, Paul has, uh, with his secretary, dictated the entire book of Romans, right? Over however many weeks that took, that Paul's just laying out the whole book of Romans. And I just, I'm amazed to think what it must have been like for uh, Tychicus and Tromiphus and Timothy and Sopater and these other uh, folks just to walk alongside Paul and, and day after day be able to say, what did you mean? What did you mean when you said he loved Jacob, but he hated Esau? What, what did you mean? What did you mean by that? What did you mean by I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? What did you mean by while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? What did you, right? This is not something they've been studying their whole lives. This is something they were hearing really for the first few times. And so when I think that all of that's fresh and rolling around in Paul's mind, I think how did he contain it just to one night, right? He's giving that, he's giving that whole thing. I've heard, I don't know if you've ever heard a, a, a pastor just uh, quote the entire book of Romans. You ever, you ever heard that? There's a guy named David Platt in the U.S. and he got up at a chapel service. I was listening to it and he said, my text is taken from the book of Romans and he started and, and then it became obvious. I was listening on a podcast, but it becomes obvious. He's quoting, like he's quoting, man, that's the whole chapter. That's the second chapter. 
That's the third chapter. And at some point you realize his message is he's going to stand there and quote the entire book of Romans. And he did it. At a child, I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe it, right? That somebody's invested that kind of mental energy into something that, that really shows how important that they find it. And I think about people who just spend their entire academic careers. They do nothing but write about and study and read about and think about the book of Romans, right? You, you have a seminary professor and you ask him a question about John and he'll just say, that's not really my thing, right? I'm a Pauline scholar. That's the kind of stuff that they say. I don't really know about John. I think, you're a New Testament teacher. How do you not know about John? Well, all, I do all my study on Paul. People give their whole careers to that. So, of course, he could spend a whole night talking about these things. So, let's, let's think about this. Where we started. If, if, if Paul had one more time to be with you, what would he say? And this is, this is what I think that Paul would give you. First, I think Paul would talk about the gospel. He'd talk about the gospel. The, the church at Troas here is gathered on a Sunday night for their weekly time of worship. Every time you, Luke uses the phrase, the breaking of bread, he's talking about the Lord's Supper in the context of a worship service. So they're gathered together on the first day of the week for the breaking of bread. They're, they're together to have worship. It's normal for them to eat an entire meal, just like it's normal for lots of churches today to eat whole meals, right? We have donuts, but I was in Trinity Baptist Church in Johor Jaya last night. They have their service. They finish. Man, they had uh, wild boar curry at the end. And I just think, praise the Lord for Bobby Hutan. What in the world? That is some good stuff, right? And so they get together and they eat, and then you just fellowship. And I think that's a great thing, but it's more than just having a fellowship meal together on a Sunday night. They're worshiping, and they're eating together, and they're doing this consistently. But Paul, he knows his time is short with this group, and so he teaches, and he teaches, and he keeps teaching. He plans just to keep going. He preaches right up to midnight. He takes the opportunity to tell these believers everything that he can. So what would he do if he had one opportunity? He'd talk to you about the gospel. I think the second thing is this. He'd evidence the gospel, right? We have this unfortunate part about the story where Eutychus is in the window and he just dozes off and falls right out. He falls right out the window and he dies, right? And this is, for me, one of the times you can be really thankful that Luke is a doctor. That's what we see from the scripture. Luke is a physician, and he's also a dedicated historian. You see that the way that he approaches both Acts and his own gospel in Luke, what he says he's trying to accomplish and all these things. So you don't have a physician who's also a, a, a really dedicated historian say, well, as far as I could tell, the dude was dead. No, the guy was dead. When Eutychus fell, he was dead. There's no evidence that, that Luke intended to say, well, sure looked dead to me. Or what well, he seemed to be dead, or everybody assumed that he was had to have died after such a fall. No, Luke says he was dead. But Paul goes right to evidencing the gospel. He ministers to the church at Troas by going right to that to that boy, grabbing him up, and I don't know what happens, but he raises him from the dead. Right? We don't have any other example of Paul raising someone from the dead. Not before this, not after this. Just like Peter when we talked about Dorcas a few weeks ago. I don't know about you, but I just, if someone fell out the window, my first thought wouldn't be, well, I need to pray and try to raise this person from the dead, right? I've never, I've never done that before. But Paul goes right down, prays for him, and says, hey, don't worry, he is alive. I'm pretty confident that if someone died during our service today, 
that would basically mean the end of our service today. Right? If Sam just falls over and clutches his chest and we try CPR and then we just say, well, we did all that we could, but man, he's been promoted to glory. I feel like we're going to have a tough time continuing the service after that, right? After they come and get Sam and cover him up and carry him out. It's basically going to ruin the rest of the day for us. For you to No. No, you're promoted to glory at that point, right? You can care less about any of these other things that, that would have happened. How much more so, right? If Sam drops dead and we say, hey, Sam's dropped dead, but we're going to pray for him. And then Sam gets back up. Right? Does the service continue at that point? I don't think so. I just don't think, we, I just don't think we would. But Paul goes down, he prays for Eutychus, and then he goes right back upstairs and talks for the whole rest of the night. He just gets right back to this, because I think that this, this third thing that I want you to see, Paul would show us, he'd show us the gospel, he'd evidence the gospel, he'd tell us the gospel, he'd evidence the gospel, and then he would really reinforce for us, Teaching is more important than miracles. He raises this kid from the dead and he gets right back to teaching. They go upstairs, they eat together, and he goes until daybreak. And I wonder, why does he go back to teaching? And I believe it's because he wants us to know the Word of God is more valuable than miracles. It's really easy for us to be captivated by these times that God breaks into our world. And so we have rallies and healing rallies and all these different kinds of things that happen. But we should not, as the church, discount how important it is that the word of God is preached and taught and understood accurately. That we have the, the word and the, the consequences of what the really understanding what God's saying mean to us. That's, I believe, what Paul is doing. He, he, he enters into the loss with them. They lost Eutychus. Brings him back to life. But they don't end the session on that note. They end the session on, on this teaching because we don't just exist to see the miraculous happen. We exist to get this story out of this book, out of our hearts, and into the lives of the people that are around us. That's, that's why we exist as a church. Bring glory to God by sharing this message everywhere that we go. So what do we see from this? I think we see, one, what churches should be like. If you want, flip with me to Acts chapter 2. This one, the church first starts. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread, right? That's worship. And the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and so we see what the church was doing from the very beginning in jerusalem they were fellowshipping they were teaching they were worshiping they were praying together they were reaching out and there were miracles present right we can see that in 43 all came upon every soul and wonders and signs were being done and we so we see these miracles but uh i think at least as important as that is the unity that you see as god's bringing together these different kinds of people um He's taking these people that are different from different backgrounds and he's giving them such a unity that what you see in the next few chapters is no one considered their own possessions to be their own possessions. Right? People are selling their things and providing for the rest of the church. And there are just times when people will come and they want to borrow something or they need something. And Right? In our, in our spirit, maybe we have, we have a, a pause to think, let me think about that, right? 
Oh, you're going to America. Uh, we're going to America on the U.S. We're going Tuesday. So if we go to the U.S. for a week, you might come and say, let me borrow your car. You're going to the U.S. for a week. You don't need it. Can I borrow your car? And I might think, wait a second. Hmm. Let me, let me consider that, right, before I just hand over the keys. Or, hey, you're going to be gone. No one's at your house. Uh, uh, they're painting my house. Can I come stay in your place? I might think, let me think about that for think about that for a minute, right? And so this, this miracle, I think, is, is God's bringing them people together. We shouldn't, we shouldn't discount what he was doing. So if we go there from Acts 2, back to where we were in Acts chapter 20, we look at this church in Troas. They're meeting together regularly. They're eating together. They're worshiping together. They're devoting themselves to the teaching of God's word. We can assume that prayer is part of this whole thing because they're at a worship service, but it doesn't specifically say we're, we're going to assume that. We're going to assume there's some praising going on after they uh, bring Eutychus back from downstairs, right? Uh, we can just assume that happened. That's, that's what churches should look like. Worshiping together, fellowshipping together, praying together, meeting together, loving one another. That's what churches are supposed to look at, look like. And so then we look at ourselves, we look at our church, and we start to think, like, okay, where are we on that? How are we as far as the meeting together goes? How do we do with praying together? How do we do with worshiping? Where are we in these kind of things? That's one thing we see in Acts 20, there in Troas. What's the church supposed to look like? Second thing is this. The detail that Luke gives really lends to the credibility, right? He gives specific names and places and people and geography and all these dates. The thing is, if, this, if the writing happens hundreds and hundreds of years later, that stuff really gets to be hard to fabricate, right? So if I tell you, whenever I leave Glasgow, Kentucky, and I'm headed to Louisville, I pass through Horse Cave, you don't know if that's true or not. If I say I go through Nashville on my way to Huntington, West Virginia, you don't know if that's it true or not because you don't understand the geography maybe of where, where, uh, where I'm from. Same thing with the Philippines. I'll ask Filipinos all the time, where are you from? And then they tell me, I think, I have no idea where that is, right? I don't know why I ask all the time because I have no idea where those things are. But Luke gives us these details. People didn't, in the year 300, turn to the back of their Bible and have a map, right? Lots of these things weren't discovered until much later. And so we have these details in our oldest manuscripts that really lend to the credibility of what we see in the Scripture. There are people who do their PhDs on things like names in the Bible. Names in the Bible, right? When I was a kid in the 70s, uh, if you said, if I was telling you a story and I said, my best friend when I was a kid was Dakota. Well, if you're from the U.S. and you lived through that period, you'd say, your best friend was not named D Dakota. No one was named Dakota in uh, the 1970s in the U.S. But it's a big joke. When I, we took our kids to uh, Little League Baseball or something like that, we could always just sit in the stands and say, run Dakota! with a pretty good assurance that there were a few kids named Dakota out there, right? Somehow in the 1990s and 2000s, Dakota became a thing, and everyone's Dakota. But in the 1970s, my friends were named Matt and Jimmy and Timmy and Tommy, right? We had those, Mark, we had those kind of names. Same thing like this. You have the New Testament, and it starts to lay out names really specific. Tychicus and Tromiphus and Timothy and uh, Sopater and people like that. And then they go into secular records and they start to look and those are the kind of names that come up really often 
in the secular records as well, in the places where they have receipts and they have marriage licenses. And so we get this sort of specificity that really should give us uh, deep uh, assurance about what we read, the thing that we're reading, the thing that we carry around, the thing we have in our pocket, the thing that we have our quiet time with every day, it's really, really reliable. We have an accurate representation today of what Dr. Luke wrote 2,000 years ago. It's amazing to me that God's protected his word that way. It just really gives us a real uh, confidence in the trustworthiness of the scripture. Then the last thing I think we see out of Troas is this. We can consider our role in the church today. It's, it's easy in a lot of churches. It's actually encouraged in some churches that we be a consumer. We come in and do we like the music? Do we not like the music? Uh, what about the temperature? They have donuts or they don't have donuts. What's the kids' ministry like? Is this place meeting my needs, right? If I'm going to go to see the Avengers and I, I'm typically a, a customer at TGV and TGV starts to behave in a way I don't like, I can just go to the MBO or I can go to the GSC or I can go somewhere else because I'm a consumer. If you're not going to take care of the seats, if the projector's not going to work, I'll just I'll see things somewhere else. But the church is not like that. It's not choosing between Aeon and Tesco, those kind of things. The church is the, the body of Christ that God's bringing together. And so we shouldn't attack it like it's some sort of consumer good. We've been laughing this week. We, uh, we, went, we went through Easter, and then we, uh, I got up Monday morning, and I had an email, right, in the church email box. So-and-so has left you a one-star review, right? So then I, I sent it to the guys, and I was like, man, roasted. We didn't even get a hashtag Happy Easter. We just got one star. And so it really made me think, like, what if, what if the church is then giving reviews to the people who come and visit, right? Showed up late, didn't participate, right? When I said this and that, then one star, right? Asked her to teach Sunday school. She said no. Two stars. Won't help out. Doesn't give. Right? Oh, never takes the Lord's Supper. Never been baptized. One star. So the question is this. We have to consider our role in the church. Right? The kingdom of God. It's not just something we come to so that we can get things out of. We come to the kingdom of God looking for what we can put in as well. God's given us a spiritual gift. If we're in Christ... We have a spiritual gift. And so how are we using our spiritual gifts in order to bless the church and to grow the body of Christ? He says we gain our lives by losing. We pour ourselves out. That's where we really find ourselves. We look to serve, not to be served. Miracles are a wonderful thing. They're incredible. But here, if I think when Paul says, I've got the tomorrow morning, I'm leaving. I don't have three months to stay in Troas. He doesn't focus on the miracle. He focuses on the word. That's where I want to leave us. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. Devoted to one another. Making the most of the time that we have available. That's, that's what a real church looks like. Let's pray together. Father, I am really thankful for the the people that you are gathering together. And Lord, I'm thankful for the way that we uh, have your word that can guide us. And Lord, that we can be 
completely confident that we have an accurate representation of what you said through Luke all those years ago, that we can read the Bible and that we can be changed by it. Thank you for these uh, pictures. As much as uh, I think about evangelism and outreach and how can we impact the lost world, it's amazing, Lord, for me to encounter the truth that often these resurrections happen inside the church. They weren't evangelistic things. They were just miracles that you did for your own body. And so I pray that you would help us to be uh, just encouraged by your care and love for the church. I pray that you would help us as we think through these things and, Lord, as we apply these things and, Lord, as we look how we can serve to make a difference in this church and uh, the lives of one another and our community, I pray you would make all of those things clear. I pray that you would help us or help us to uh, not be chasing after the things that are fantastic. And uh, Lord, help us not to take for granted things that really are miraculous. People being dragged from darkness into light. People having hope. Marriages being restored. Lives being saved. I pray you would help us to uh, really rejoice about those miraculous things when they happen in our midst. We pray that you would uh, just bless as we finish here in these next few minutes. We pray you'd be uh, glorified, Lord. Thank you for uh, the, the worship team, all that we've gotten today, the, the ones who are serving and the kids. I pray that you would just bless those who have given themselves today to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now.